and welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the pop culture core. Today we will be answering the bloody stupid question, how do the Losers Club avoid being eaten by shape-shifting monsters from beyond the void? It's social constructivism. And you'll see there's a double hidden bun in there because there's both the things we're going to be talking about today in it. Hello, I am Mike Collins. Uh, I am a learning designer with the Open University. I'm imposter syndrome incarnate and I'm also a man with a microphone. And joining me today, we have... I'm Mark Childs. I'm a senior learning designer from Durham University and I'm a guy with uh, a PhD in education, which is mainly about social constructivism, actually. So, um, yes, my home turf this week. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. And I am Becky. I'm a learning designer at the Open University. Um, and actually, I'm doing a PhD in film, funnily enough. So all around oh, wow. kind of film geek as well. Oh, my God. So we actually yeah. have both sides of the show covered by experts yeah, today. Yeah. yeah. What What are you looking at with the film stuff? The male body in Hollywood uh, kind of films. So like um, post 9-11. Oh, the resurgence okay. of the uh, hard male body and that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. so like the female gaze? Uh, yeah. No. no, actually. No, oh, okay. I can't. Yeah, I see, what you, I see what you mean. But no, it's uh, more about kind of um, national identity and the way that films can define presidencies. Um, Oh, yeah, okay. and sort of the the like contradictions inherent in the sort of ideological sort of leanings that the films have. Oh, so, okay, yeah, sounds so fascinating. I, yeah, it's good. That it's sounds good. really good. That sounds much more wholesome than I was imagining. <laughs> <laughs> Think of Rambo. It, there's um, oh, okay. like I start off with Rambo and I go kind of through to like Olympus has fallen. You know, mm. Mike Banning saga. And um, Joker, sort of doing some stuff on Joker uh, at the moment. Because the revisioning around um, between First Blood and the and the other Rambo movies is, mm. you know, it's supposed to be a damaged kind of war veteran, wasn't it? As far as I remember, and the, yeah. they, they completely seem to have lost that narrative and idolising somebody that should have been. Anyway, off topic. Sorry. <laughs> it is this an interesting really conversation. Interesting. I would carry on this at any any point. Okay. Whenever you want to, Mark. But, um, Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Bonus episode, I think. In that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we should do a bonus episode. We should. We should just have an episode where we can just talk about films for ages because I could have that would be about action movies. I am. Um, I hadn't seen most of the big action movies um, uh, as as a, like a, a teenager or a child. And then my wife and I went through a mission of trying to watch all the big ones. I, I'd never seen Top Gun, for example. Oh, I've never um, seen that. It was just. No. Oh my god! It was a revelation. Uh, Commando, what a movie. Oh, I love Commando. Commando, absolute brilliant classic, isn't it? Yeah. I I did a master's on film as well, but it was was only a master's. And I looked at um, representations of scientists. So you do get quite macho scientists in the 50s, and then they gradually become weedier as you get through to the 60s and the 70s. And that, that change is really interesting as well. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, sorry, that's not to do with that's nothing to do with it now, though, is it? So, in order to answer our question, how do the losers' club avoid being eaten by shape-shifting monsters, monsters, monsters from the, beyond the void? It's social constructivism. Uh, we have two components. We have the movie It, and we are going to be focusing on the 2017 version for the most part. And we have social constructivism. So, part one: the question. 
So the movie, it's 2017. It's an adaptation of the Stephen King novel of the same name, uh, involving a group of uh, little kiddly winks from a town called Derry evading the attentions of an evil monster clown. Uh, who wants to give a potted summary of uh, what goes on in the movie? Well, I haven't seen it. I've seen the 1990 version, but um, I was hoping to build up a concept of what it was through a process of social constructivism, actually. So um, oh. I think somebody else is going to have to take the lead on this bit. Yeah, I'm happy to uh, give us a very short overview of the film. But yeah, it's a um, group of uh, kind of geeky, you know, uh, misfits who band together to um, thwart the kind of plans of Pennywise the Clown, who's this kind of shape-shifting monster. And uh, and they just kind of, in the process, bond and create this lovely, you know, friendship. And it's all very nostalgic because it's a kind of exhumation of, like, 80s pop culture references. So, you know, yeah, it's it's kind of that, really. I mean, I'm not sure that that's really explaining the I think the kind of the key points for for it for me were that you've got the kind of the kids themselves and they are a ragtag group of losers who obviously being a ragtag loser myself I really empathize with them. I was like oh man I I can see myself and my friends as a kid reflected in these I was probably the new kid unfortunately I was almost definitely the new kid and uh and that, and yeah and they they come together and they sort of just in that way that kids do absorb new people into um into the group uh, as they go through my stuff and they kind of they come together in order to um uh, drive off pennywise under under the gee under the geese under the guys under the guys under the geese under the under the leadership <laughs> of um a kid whose name escaped my terrible at remembering mike very well demonstrating how he is the loser kid in the group <laughs> <laughs> I'm just oh, my microphone <laughs> No, we're all. I mean, isn't that what? Well, I mean, I was as well. I mean, it's not. I mean, you can't be. I think that's what, particularly our age group. Now that actually all this geek stuff's kind of cool, it doesn't really work the same way. But I mean, when I was growing up, and I guess when you were growing up, the nerds were the ones that were always picked on. And this is this is both what we got fascinated by, but also what drove us towards it was the fact that we were losers. This is why we are now talking about all this pop culture. Yeah, that's it. It's geek chic, isn't it now? And uh, <laughs> the world is ours. Yeah, <laughs> and I think you know we can all see ourselves in them, and that's what makes it so endearing. I think, isn't it? You know. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, and I'm very much like you, Mike. You know, I was a bit of a geek, and you know, and so it is great just to see that. I, I don't know if you found this as well, but because um, I, I watched the movie for the first time last week uh, in preparation for this. Um, and I was reminded, as I always am, by any American movie with high school kids or like kids or high school kids, American school is bloody terrifying. It seems yeah. like they've just got kind of psychopath children like off the leash, armed to the teeth with knives and guns, just sort of running around the place um, unrestrained. It's it's bizarre. And it seems to be just like this totally accepted part of Americans like, oh, yeah, like there'll be these kids who are like, you know, persecuted until they're murdered and stabbed and stuff. And that's that's fine. That's just part of growing up. I, maybe it's just my British eyes watching this, but I'm like, this seems unusual and bad. Yeah, unless it's not really like that, and that's just what it's like in the movies. Or maybe that's sort of what it's like everywhere, you know, and, and we just haven't been to school for 30 years. Oh, God. The <laughs> 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 tinted glasses have just kind of glossed over the, uh, yeah. the the psycho kid coming in with the knife game. Like, actually, no, come to think of it. Yeah, okay, fair enough, yeah. But then I suppose it was the 80s, wasn't it? So, mm. or, you know, it's representing the 80s. So I guess life was a bit more brutal then when you were at school. 
not you personally, but you know, people. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Chat rooms were rooms where you went to chat as opposed yeah. to, you know, common rooms. Mm. Yeah. So that's, um, so that's it. Let's get into, um, social constructivism then now we obviously have our um doctor of social constructivism <laughs> i uh, wish i hadn't said anything now um uh, so what are you for for what are your four bullet points well my like? my four my four bullet points um now five the last one reading ask mark about social constructivism uh <laughs> are that it is a variety of cognitive constructivism that emphasizes the collaborative nature of much learning uh, that it was developed by post-revolutionary Soviet psychologist Lev Vygotsky, which and it does like the whole concept does feel a, like just have a, like a little Soviet taste to it. It's like oh yes, knowledge comes from the people. The <laughs> um, <laughs> workers unite. Uh, it says that cognitive constructivism actually starts at uh, a social level before moving to an individual level, and that learning is inherently understood through language, which is itself social. So mm-hmm. those are my four bullet points. So constructivism, just to very quickly go, but we've done a couple of episodes where we've covered constructivism before, but it's uh, essentially uh, how you connect um, knowledge, understanding, experiences uh, with uh, sort of schemas and understanding um, in your noodle to uh, to develop learning, I guess. Would that be an accurate bickery do? Yeah, that's it. That's, that's, that's pretty much everything. It's constructivism is... You know, the individual building up ideas and fitting new ideas into what already exists. And social constructivism is just doing that with a group of people talking about it. I mean, it's not, it's nowhere near as complicated as, as all of the, as the names might imply, really. It's just, it does what it says on the tin, really. Yeah. Well, that was uh, easy. <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose what you'd want to do is unpack my, why you might want to use it in and why it's perhaps a, sometimes the most applicable of the different approaches you could take. Um, and because you know we this is something we constantly get kickback is oh why do i have to talk to other students because they don't know anything about it uh i just want to be told once by a tutor and not you know have to discuss it with 10 people all of whom might have the wrong answer but i think a lot of it comes down to the fact that you know a lot of the things we have in the world around us are socially constructed um which is where social constructionism comes from, but we probably don't want to go into that. I was doing this thing, this um, analysis of some um, focus groups that d- distance learning students had, and one of them was saying, oh, I can't see the point of all these online discussion boards. Why should I have to talk to, again, this is actually where this quote comes from, from 10 people that don't know anything about it. I just want to be told what's what by the tutor. But he was studying fashion at a, univer- at a university in Australia, I think. And I think, well, you know, fashion is socially constructed. Okay, clothes aren't. Clothes are made by, you know, little kids in a factory somewhere. Um, but uh, but fashion is the idea of what's high fashion, what's low fashion, all that sort of stuff, is something that we create between us as a society. You know, and often that's by kids on the street or in the clubs or whatever. And then a fashion designer comes along and goes, ooh, look at that, that's amazing. I'm going to put that on the catwalk. And then so they put that on the catwalk for a few years and then a, a fashion tutor looks at all these and goes okay this is what fashion is so you know if you're discussing it with other people your age and you're in your 20s you're really getting it first-hand opinion of what it all is as opposed to from your tutor which would be third-hand so i think this is why we'd want to use social constructivism in teaching within you know a lot of subjects because that then kind of models the way that the ideas have been created in the first place does that make sense is that what everybody else feels about it yeah, I mean, from what I've read, that that's yeah, that seems a really good encapsulation of it, Mike. 
So social constructivism, when I've seen it referenced, seems to be touted as kind of, you know, the um, this is this is the way to be teaching. This is the uh, this is kind of like this is the answer. Um, but you have already kind of described a scenario where, let's say, you've got a room of ten people uh, and nine of them have the wrong answer. So yeah. in that scenario, what is the how how is how is this more valuable than um, the tutor giving you the right answer the first time around? Well, I think the tutor would need to guide that discussion or address things that are coming out that are wrong when they are wrong. But I think, you know, with a lot of things, there aren't right or wrong answers. If you're looking at, I don't know, theology or fashion, I've already mentioned, or, you know, a lot of arts, you don't, or philosophies, you don't have necessarily a right or wrong answer. You might have a poor way of thinking it through in a, in a good way, and that needs, needs direction from the tutor. But the idea of it being a wrong answer, a right answer, what? What you need to be able to do is practice that argument and that discussion and sharing those ideas and how do you build up ideas in those sorts of groups. So some of the value comes from the fact that it's making you turn ideas over and examine them from multiple perspectives and angles in, in, a, in, a, in a social context. And then presumably that's because of that, from the cognitive constructivist perspective, you're getting more connections alongside that because of that sort of more whirly-burly approach would that be a fair yeah and you having to argue your point of view and that in putting things into words helps you kind of make sense of a lot of things when you're trying to think it through you go well I was, you have a very vague idea when you're just bouncing around the words around inside your head but then when you have to formulate them and present them and that really is a point at which you have to make sense of them for yourself too ah, so, um, so that point kind of four, learning is understood through language which is social so you're yeah. by literally the act of putting it into words is helping to reinforce your learning yeah and helping other people with their learning because you're giving them your ideas and you're not nobody's so stupid they don't have anything to offer in those sort of situations the other thing as well is that a lot of you know a lot of the practice that we use that you know once you it's the post course consciousness thing but a lot of the the, the roles that we have in society require teamwork yeah. you know even in you know like okay so some things aren't necessarily about a personal opinion like a lot of stem stuff it's like it it's science and it's like proved or disproved or but you do that as part of a team as well so i think it's good to give students that practice in developing all of those all of those steps you know this is how we work together so i think when you're trying to convince students they should be doing this and students on the whole do need a lot of convincing that they need to be doing social constructivist type stuff then you know the fact that this is knowledge that's socially constructed anyway so you need to model that and secondly You'll probably be working in a team when you're when you've left the, when you finish the degree. So therefore, you need to be learning these skills. Those are both, I think, things that we should be saying to students to convince them that this is really a good idea. Where I where I argue against the thing, it's like this is how you learn. Is no, this, we need to we could do an episode on this. But this whole idea of ep epistemological conflict in pedagogy that some people say you to learn this way and some people you say you learn that way. You learn lots of different ways, and you, the no one approach should ever dominate. You know the others, or if you're saying this is the way to do it, and it's the, it's the way people learn, and the other ones are wrong, then obviously that's ridiculous, and you need a blend of all of them. But um, yeah, saying yeah. that, I mean, interesting. We were having a little chat before the recording um, about in our in our own practice, we've come across occasions where uh, people, for example, want to deliver all of their learning through a book because it's just something that you can nail down and then throw at students and they absorb the knowledge from that. But just taking that single um, approach then kind of narrows you down and cuts you off almost from that social constructivist angle. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you wouldn't, similarly, you wouldn't want to be spending all of your time just developing knowledge by just talking to other people because, because ultimately you're never really locked down to any specific content being approved. And this is what I need to take away from this, this process. You need to sort of really mix the two up to, to make them both effective. The, I, I was going to say the other thing as well that makes social constructivism a really useful approach is, and we're seeing this a lot now with lockdown, is, you know, it's social. So the students are mixing with each other. They're at, and although some of them go, oh, I just want to sit on the sofa and read my book and then answer some exams at the end, the evidence is that actually that's, although they say they like that, that's not actually what gets them through to the end. What yeah. gets students through to completing a course is mixing with other students, the kind of social exchange and social responsibility that comes with being part of a group. And the attainment is higher and the um, completion is higher if you've got a lot of social material, social activities on the course. And like I said, at lockdown, we're finding at Durham that a lot of students are actually participating more in the social constructivist type stuff because they're just missing out on social things. And mm. so this is, you know, it's a chance to chat to other people about your ideas. You're not getting to do that down the pub because the pubs are all shut. But you can do it in your seminar because you've got a bunch of other people who want to talk and want to talk about all these ideas. So I think that's the other reason why you'd, you'd have to have it in a course to some extent. No matter what your distance learning course, it has to be there because, because it's what makes students want to keep on coming back and they will do more. And the evidence is they will actually do more learning later on if they've had social learning in that, in that particular module, even though they say, oh, I don't want to do it. I mean, opportunity, something we'll link to in the show notes, actually, is a paper by uh, Rebecca Galley et al. Um, mm. and, and others, um, which, yeah, just reinforced that. There's a bit of uh, research done at the OU um, a few years ago where essentially they showed that uh, students uh, don't like, <laughs> they really don't like, well, there's, there's a general dislike for, for engaging with other students, um, which, which is fair enough. But yes, those that did, those who did, uh, were more successful uh, mm -hmm. in, their, in their overall outcomes. Mm -hmm. And it basically, you know, it's it's what's you know what's good for you isn't necessarily what's uh, what you want. No, there's a better phrase for that. What's the word? There's a perfect phrase for this. It's not what you want. It's what you need, really. That's the sauce. Can't always get what you want, but if you try, sometimes you get what you need. <laughs> and well, and it's, it's you don't know what's best for you. You know, we're the ones with the friendly pedagogy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I was going to ask, you know, is there, are there specific roles that, that people take in social constructivism? Oh, now I wanted, I, I was thinking about whether to get into this or not, but you know, uh, Mike's mentioned this uh, Vygotsky guy. Yeah. I'm trying to do the Russian accent now. Vygotsky. And um, he came up with this thing called activity theory. Okay. And so basically, what it is is that you've got the subject, so this is the student or whatever, and they are then using, they are focusing then on the object, which is what they want to learn. And then those two things produce an outcome, which is learning. But it's mediated through the tools. So it could, that could be language. It's always got to be language. But it's also gesture and those sorts of things. And the reason why social constructivism crops up a lot with the whole ed tech thing is that also you, the platform itself comes into that. So when you've got this triangle of subject, object, and tools, then you, it really helps you kind of break down what the separate elements are in that you, know, you can say, well, this is what kind of learning we've got. This is what kind of uh, subject they're looking at. Or the, the object of what they're looking at is, I don't know, film. But it's mediated through these tools, which are language and experience and, I don't know, a, semi a semiotic signaling system 
but also Zoom or Duo or whatever. So that's kind of how he broke it down and how that got absorbed. But then another guy called Engerstrom, and he's Swedish, so I switch accents. But he then added, he made the triangle a bit bigger, and he started talking about what you just mentioned, which is that you've got the roles that you adopt. So that the roles, the community, and the rules for participation. So you might have rules which are about, you know, you can't swear or you have to pause and take turns or whatever. You've got the roles, which is somebody might be the note taker and somebody's the tutor, but it might be more subtle in that there's hierarchy. Like, you know, somebody's the producer and somebody's the the geek who turns up every episode. And then there's the guest. Well, that puts us into different roles. And immediately that's changing the participation of the the social constructivism that's going on. And then there's the bigger community. So it's how does that then fit into, in this case, maybe the listeners and the people that produced uh, other podcasts or whatever. So you've got this really nice sort of triangle of triangles, sort of six points. But all break it down into those sorts of, of elements. Mark, you have you have tried to describe activity mm. theory to me so many times, and it's flown over my head every single time. But inexplicably, this time it's worked. Yeah, well, it's in the context, isn't it? It's a context where we're talking about social constructivism. So therefore, do you know what I mean? It's sort of you've got that's that's the, then the grounding, and I mean that's true of a lot of things. Is trying to explain things out of context without concrete example is really doesn't really work at all. So. So instead of an activity theory triangle, there's now an activity theory hexagon. No, it's a triangle, but it's in it's in. Uh, we'll do. A, we can have the picture in the show notes. But it's a triangle with um, tools at the top, and then halfway down each side, you've got subject and object. And at the bottom corner, you've got rules. In the middle, you've got community. In the bottom right hand, you've got roles or something like that. So it's a sort of imagine all those sort of vertices all connected up. You end up with a triangle comprised of four different triangles. We were talking yesterday about it being, I was talking to Eileen Scanlon from IET about all this, as a, as a built out of Toblerones. <laughs> so you can imagine, uh, you know, two Toblerone packs at the bottom, a Toblerone pack upside down in between them, and then a fourth Toblerone pack on top of that. And that's what the activity theory thing looks like, if that helps. Oh, well, I can think about Toblerone now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, and of course, a, a third a kind of pretender to this whole thing was a guy called Childs in 2010 who said, you know what, there's also another thing, that, a couple of things that come in here. One of them is the identity of the person. So how do they perceive themselves and perceive their role within this? It's not just about the role they've been given. It's about the role they've acquired. But also there's this thing called presence. So I think we feel present within this situation here because we're used to recording online. We're used to Zencaster. But it's that sense of connection with the other people that also drives your ability to construct things socially. And so if you add these extra elements in, you end up with a kind of cube with each of the elements in a different, in a different corner of the cube. And that's the kind of third iteration of activity theory that everyone's ignored because, you know, I don't know. It's maybe it's a load of shit. <laughs> but anyway, this, um, this, this child who proposed it. Any any relation to yeah, um, to Dr. Me, Mark Child? Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> and Mark's book on uh, on the, uh, the the square bit of the the triangle is available in the in the show notes. Presumably, uh, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing like, there's a book. If you like, <laughs> I might sell another couple of copies. <laughs> <laughs> is it one of those academic books that's like seven hundred pounds a copy? No, I don't know how much it is. It is it is ridiculously expensive, but. Yeah, I I get ten percent, so or six percent, so that's not bad. That seems criminal. 
I'm so sorry, Mark. That's really sad. It's all right. It's better than nothing. <laughs> oh. oh. Okay, so um, mm. just to recap then, because this has not gone in the direction I expected. But okay. I think this is stuff that we can definitely carry through to the second part of the show. Mm-hmm. So we have our kind of in- initial bullet points on social constructivism, um, which we went through earlier, but also within those, um, the kind of the activity theory triangle trapezoid cube pile of toblerones so yeah so the pile of toblerones of um, activity theory particularly roles rules and community and then within that uh within roles specifically uh, identity and presence is that um that fair yeah i'll just chuck them all together and see what comes out really i mean it doesn't you don't have to really focus on all of those all at once you can sort of just look at whatever elements are, are interesting you at any one particular time as well well, I feel that the the roles, um, the rules, and the community actually really align interestingly with what happens in it. So yeah. I think that yeah, let's focus on those then for the the, the next part of the uh, episode. What a wonderful transition! <laughs> part two: the answer. So uh, to return to our question. Um, how do the Losers Club avoid being eaten by shape-shifting monsters from beyond the void? It's social constructivism. Uh, something I hope, by the way, that we confirmed in the first part, and if we haven't, I might need to retcon it in, uh, was that the shape-shifting monster from beyond the void is Pennywise, the dancing clown, um, who likes <laughs> to hide in the sewers um, where things float, uh, and boy do they float down in the sewers, um, and can shape-shift himself into all the horrible things that people are scared of and give them hallucinations, and, and, and he can fox people. He can take the weak-willed people and make them trick them, make them see things they can't see, or, or the other way around, like, or ignore a bathroom full of blood, uh, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, he, and the reason he does it with kids as well is because they are easier to scare, because their fears are simpler. Whereas, yeah, yeah us, us adults, it's like, oh God, unexpected council tax at the same time as the engine light, <laughs> check engine light comes on. <laughs> yeah, that's not, a great t- that's not a great movie, is it, really? Yeah, adult Pennywise would be probably just the landline ringing for me. It's just like, oh, <laughs> bad news. Only bad news, phones on the landline. I, I still have nightmares about zombies taking over and stuff like that or being eaten by werewolves or, you know, and those are the, those are the, the SFW ones that I can mention in the podcast. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, I don't think mine ever changed that much. I'm still, there's still those. I, I was looking up at the moon walking across campus, so it's, and I thought, oh my god what happens if that explodes and you know those are the sort of things that still scare me i'll tell you what scares me is the other day on the news somebody uh, like this unsuspecting couple had a, like, a minute meteorite land in their driveway <laughs> and there was this tiny like um splatter where it had obviously caused a tiny crater and the thing that crossed my mind was can you imagine if you're just walking along and then suddenly that like drops from the sky and then the next minute you're dead so- yeah it's <laughs> terrifying all planes falling on me you know i never Clean worry about crashing while i'm in them but oh, yeah, underneath one it always that scares the hell out of me so oh incidentally the moon thing you don't have to worry about because they won't hit the earth until about three or four years because they still carry on in the same motion so you've got three or four years to panic about it. Well, I think we'd all die in tidal waves first, wouldn't we? Because it would have yeah. massive impact. No, no, because the mass is still there. If it blows up into lots of little bits, the mass is still there. So that yeah, does, make... doesn't it form? Doesn't it end up forming a ring really quickly? Not really quickly, no. Oh, did Kurtzgast did a video on this? 
Anyway, sorry. Anyway, it's not something to worry about. That's massively off topic. Um, so, answering our question, how do they do it? Um, Becky, you actually had a nice potted uh, explanation of this. Do you want to introduce it for us? So, I mean, I was thinking that um, Vygotsky kind of believed that community plays a central uh, role in the sort of process of making meaning and everything. And I was thinking about, like, the different scenes in the film. So you have... Um, these a number of like these scenes where it just sort of drives the narrative forward but actually I think kind of fulfills that and um, got uh, just after there's like a bonding moment when they've just when all the kids have just like been sort of you know jumping in the water and they're just sort of chilling out and you know talking and stuff and then they start to talk about the history of Derry and you know how it's you know a little bit sinister and uh, you know there's like people going missing and stuff then uh, you've got the kids are out on their bikes and then suddenly they all talk about their experiences of like these hallucinations. Uh, and then Ben later on talks about um, the these large scale murders and, you know, this. It, they, then they realise it's every 27 years. And so they kind of already they're on that like journey to sort of um making meaning i guess aren't they and and they're doing it communally and they gradually make that meaning by sort of ex- sharing those experiences yeah so yeah yeah socially constructivism yeah and it's i guess it's that it's that shared understanding that helps them essentially overcome the fear because they're able to kind of contextualize that each of them is being shown their own personal fear yeah so it's, yeah like kind of guided learning really isn't it like they um so at, at the house on Nebolt street they uh are all kind of experiencing these horrific like hallucinations but then stan is sort of telling um bill it's not real they're just they're just visions and that's what kind of affects pennywise isn't it it it, uh disempowers him for kind of five minutes anyway yeah and that knowledge kind of percolates out so he, he kind of he models and demonstrates that within the group and they all sort of emulate that so by the end of the movie they are all able to actually kind of you know, separate themselves a little bit from the the terror that's being shown to them because of you know that that shared knowledge they've had. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess he he's like a teacher in a way, isn't he? He's hard as bloody nails. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not that brave as him, and I'm like three times his age. But that's interesting in that that's the key thing where social constructivism falls down often is that you don't have a concrete thing that you take away at the end, and often that needs to be you know, realised or formalised by the teacher. So it sounds like that's a really good example of social constructivism in that, Mm -hmm. you know, they've come away with this is what we've learnt from this session or this horrific sequence of, uh, you know, horrors, is this is an actual concrete thing that makes sense to us and is our final product of this social constructivist process. And I think that's a useful thing for learning, and we'll come back into top tips, but getting people to turn all of this conversation into something specific really does help make sense of that whole constructivist process, I think, for people. You can definitely see that happening in the film, I think. You know, just that those kind of little nuggets of um, them kind of connecting um, these associations and then sort of by the end, like you say, they manage to kind of thwart him, not just through a stake in the head, which I think is one of the things but uh but actually by realizing that they are they're, they're not their fears um we, we sort of touched on actually in there um how 
it's them forming their own little micro community and kind of bonding, which actually helps them share. So yeah. they're kind of they open up to share these very private terrorists because they don't, you know, they don't all come out and say, "Hey, guess what? Last night I had a spooky boy appear in my attic." That's right, in my cellar. Um, you know, it's they they have to they they get closer as a group, and then as they get more comfortable in that kind of that new dynamic that they formed, they get better at sort of sharing these uh, these dread experiences they've had. Um, so there's kind of the, the micro community that they've formed themselves. How they fit into the wider dairy community, I guess I'm thinking back now to kind of your activity theory points, Mark, mm. is an interesting context just because they are, they're in some respects, the only people who really know what's going on with this. They're sort and, of like a subculture, aren't they, within yeah. dairy? Yeah. And other people don't believe them. And then there's roles in the group as well. So Stan um, is kind of like, he's like the leader kid. Like every group kind of has like the leader kid. He's the rational one, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. So he's kind of fallen into the role of sort of the leader, the rational one. And then Ben, is it Ben, the new kid? Yeah. Ben's kind of like, he's kind of the history buff. He's the one who brings sort of some of the, um, sort of the, some of the knowledge to the table. And I've forgotten the names of all the other kids and what they Eddie, bring. You've got Eddie, uh, Bev, and um, Bev, by the way, is um, a, a, a direct reference to Molly Ringwald, who, as we know, was a, a huge 80s pop icon, not pop, pop culture icon. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that either. Yeah, um, what was it? yeah I'm, I'm trying to remember what they bring, because one brings a lot of thumb bags, and that made me smile a lot. That's Eddie. Yeah. So Eddie is, um, his mom is like, you know, hypochondriac, um, is, I can't remember the t- term for it. Is it Munchausen's by proxy or something? Yeah. 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 So she's kind of uh, constantly, you know, like telling him that he's ill. But yeah, sorry, we're running out of time, aren't we? So yeah. If we had, so if we had to summarize um, an answer to our question, how do the Losers Club avoid being eaten by shapeshifting monsters from beyond the void in a, one or two sentences, how do we go about it? Who wants to have a crack at that? Well, I think the thing that, crops up key there is it's something that we have in the um, it's julie salmon's five steps model which is that the basis for all social constructivism is that forming of society itself and i think educators need to focus on that is that if you want social constructivism to happen you've got to have people to get on with each other and you've got to take them through that process of forming those bonds so the first step is they form bonds of friendship which then enable that sharing of information to happen and then they share information so they can synthesize it and pick up the best of what each other has to contribute. And then finally, they, I would say they come up with a single product that makes all of that discussion and interpretivist positions um, a kind of out- concrete output that makes sense of that whole process. How does that sound? Brilliantly said. <laughs> yeah, geez, I mean... <laughs> Becky, do you want to do you want to try no. and pop that? No, I don't want to either. Bloody hell, Mark! <laughs> hey, I'm a professional. That, P- that PhD is uh, getting the dust knocked off it today. <laughs> Part three: Practical tips for your own teaching. Okay, then. So, um, very quickly, then, any practical tips? I think we've covered some of the sort of practical tips um, for education along the way. But any practical tips for, for people's own teaching? on social constructivism first of all explain why you're doing it uh lots of students have a real opposition to it but there's some really practical reasons why you want to do it and i think making those clear to the students at the start is really important give them time to form those social bonds and also structure it so they are so give them activities which give them a kind of connection to build upon 
and then um, guide that discussion, but also guide it towards and reflect back on it so that the students are aware of what they've learned from doing it, because that's part of the problem is you can sometimes have a chat for an hour and then not really realize what you've what you've learned. You have learned stuff, but it's being aware that you've learned stuff that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And finally, assess it. Nobody's going to do it unless you assess it. There's, mm-hmm. you know, so um, find ways to effective ways to assess that social constructivist activity. Uh, for me, I would say I would just call back something uh, that we discussed earlier in that consider it as part of your wider buffet of uh, of learning options as well as learning and, and instructional options, uh, just as much as anything, so that people have opportunities to um, find things themselves independently to bring back. Um, to the group uh, and and be the um, Bob, no, not Bob, Ben, and be the Ben of the group. Um, yes, that would be my my be my one ben. addition to that. Becky, how about you? I haven't got anything to add to that. I mean, I think yeah, it's like you both kind of uh, said there. I mean, using it widely as well. You know, using it as a, um, a sort of key theme in your teaching I think is um, really important and to uh, sort of develop those key relationships and um, bring out the best in, in students. Yeah and, and, and as Mark said be transparent with it I think we've, we've said transparent pedagogy almost every podcast so let's <laughs> make sure we get in there let them know what you're doing it's brilliant uh, I'm so sorry folks we've I'm run out oh, of time go, yeah. so I'm going to wrap us up real quick um, but before I do thank you so much for coming on today Becky I hope you've Will you join us again for another? Oh, I would love to, but only if you'd have me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. So thanks very much for listening. You can subscribe to us on all of your favourite apps, feeds, uh, and at our website, pedagodzilla.com. You can also get in touch with us via Twitter. I'm at Pedagodzilla. I'm at Mark Childs. If you enjoyed the episode, and we hope you did, uh, please give us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or TripAdvisor. Um, give us five stars for good catering we hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time on Pedagodzilla goodbye now okay bye bye